Music, science, cosmic culture. This is the Blue Dot Podcast. They're an award-winning legendary Scottish band whose 25-year career has produced 10 incredible albums, unique collaborations with the likes of Clint Mansell and Nine Inch Nails, and a prolific history of soundtracking for films and TV, including the 2006 documentary film Zidane, a 21st century portrait, and Mark Cousins' 2015 piece Atomic. Following the Mercury Prize nominated As The Love Continues, their 10th album and their first to hit number one in the album charts, we're thrilled to welcome Mogwai to headline Blue Dot 2022 this July. And Stuart Braithwaite joins us now for a special In Conversation. Welcome to the Blue Dot Podcast with Mogwai. Stuart, welcome to the Blue Dot Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be on. Stuart, uh, let's start by talking about your most recent album, As the Love Continues. It's your highest charting album and your first number one, 25 years in. How does that feel to hear a, a year now since the album came out and now that the hype has calmed down a bit? It's still absolutely surreal. Definitely doesn't get old. Um, it was something that we've had never even countenanced it's funny being in a band, you, you do have little aims and things you would like to happen, but for something to happen that you never even dreamed of happening, it's very strange, but yeah, very lovely at the same time and definitely appreciated a lot of the support that we got from obviously the listeners, people buying the record and also a lot of other musicians kind of getting behind us and yeah, it was a really lovely thing to happen and when it happened was in the kind of depths of the lockdown, so it was, it was, it was, it, it was definitely good to have a a bright point in a pretty pretty bleak period. You're in the studio right now, yeah? Yes, I'm in the I'm in the hallway. I'll wait till Tony's stopped banging around. And where is That's the all right, studio? Tony. Where is it? Where is the studio? <laughs> uh, our studio's in Glasgow in an area called Finiston. It's um the room I'm in just now is the entrance hall, which is used to be um a bank. And it's it's a, it's weird. It's a listed building, so you can't change it. So we've got this kind of really ornate big hallway that no one can, <laughs> no one can do anything with. You actually, if you if you saw it, you'd recognise it from a lot of photo shoots of us us and our friends' bands. Because yeah, a lot of people are lazy and do their photos in the same place. Do you share the studio with other bands? Uh, other people do use it. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, quite a lot. I don't actually know who's in all the time. I know um, I know Ladytron were in not long ago, and um, who else was in? I think the Pastels have done some stuff here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Tony that we, we run the studio with, he does a lot of soundtrack stuff. He does all the stuff with David McKenzie, the director. So a lot of it's not band stuff, a lot of it's like movies. I want to talk to you, obviously, about the, the soundtrack stuff in a bit, um, Mogwai's soundtrack stuff. Um, I don't know that I'd have Mogwai down as a band with ambitions to be number one. Well, we well, we didn't at all. We really, really didn't. I mean, I've been thinking about a lot of this recently, and the the only two ambitions we ever had was to get played on John Peel and um, to play the Barrowlands. And even even playing the Barrowlands, I don't think we ever even expected to headline it. We just wanted to play there. I think we were kind of like happy to blag on 
first on a mud honey gig or something, you know, like it wasn't even like we were going to be so successful that 2000 people will pay money to see us. We, we weren't even thinking like that. So yeah, number one was, was not on, on that very short list. What was your intention for the album? We just wanted to make a good record. I think that's, that's kind of what we, what we go into all of them with. I think with this one, because of how we made it, we were maybe a well. I'm talking about myself. Maybe the rest are always focused, but I was I was very focused because um, there was nothing going on, and this was the this was the only thing that we got to do that year. Like, what was that year? 2019, the start of the pandemic. Was it 20? God, I'm losing track of years. 2020. Last. It would have been 2020. Sorry, yeah. So yeah, in in, in 2020, it was the only thing we could do. We were locked down most of the year and we managed to get out to make a record in the few months of that summer where you could leave leave your county and we, we managed to get down to England to make the record. But um, Dave Fredman, who was, who was producing it, obviously couldn't come over from America, so he did it all online, which was a totally weird situation, but something we had all, something that almost felt like part of the challenge. We had this challenge to finish these songs, make this record and yeah, for for that to all happen and then it to all end so amazingly was great, really. And um, yeah, although I don't want it to ever happen again. Dave's <laughs> worked with the, some of my favourite acts like the Flaming Lips, like Mercury Rev. Why did you turn to Dave again? Um we, this, this was actually the let me count, the fourth record we made with Dave. We we made our our second and third records with him, and then we made our ninth and tenth. So we we made music with him before, and we got on great, and the records turned out I think really well. And um, we'd stayed friends with him and his family. Like we we would see him pretty much every time we go to America, and we just felt like like going back which we did for every country's son which which turned out well and then we wanted to do um as a love continues with him too but he's 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 a great person to be in the studio with on a personal level he's he's very calm but he's also very smart and has great ideas and we can be quite closed off as a band i think a lot of bands are and not really um take on board anything that anyone else says but I think we've got to the point with Dave where we really do have a relationship where like we trust him so I think this album was maybe the one where we let him produce the most he would suggest things and we'd try everything I think back back when we were young he'd suggest things and we wouldn't do it because it wasn't our idea whereas I think now we're like well it's Dave and he's made a lot more records than us and all the, all the records he makes sound great, so let's give it a bash. And I think that that was one of the reasons the the record turned out so well. How did the album start life, Stuart? Was there one big idea? Not really one big idea. We, we go into making records just with the intention of coming out of it with 10, 11, 12 good songs. And the three members of the band to write music, me, Barry and Dominic, we just demo songs and see what happens. And they always sound like they're by a bunch of different bands. But by the time we get together and we're all playing, it just sounds like Mogwai. So it's kind of a weird but kind of a normal process, if that makes sense. I wonder, what do you define as the sound of Mogwai? Um, I think our music is is quite layered. I think it has usually quite a lot sound our music's quite melodic 
and I don't know. It just kind of sounds like us. It's, it's hard to it's hard to explain. I think if we tried to play anyone else's songs, it would sound like us. I think it's just the way we we play and the way that we bring music together. I wonder, has your perception of the band and and your work changed over time? Would you say over the twenty five years that you've been doing it? I think so because it's a it's a long time to sit with something, and also over those decades now I've kind of seen how our music is received so I kind of know know a bit more about what it means to people and what what people use it for if that makes sense like whereas when we were kids I mean we were teenagers when we started the band I think we were just completely in our own little bubble and the other stuff just kind of happened to exist and involved our music even though we hadn't planned for any of it because like I said earlier, we, and it's a bit of a cliche, but we really weren't thinking, we didn't have a plan when we started the band. We were just like, we just wanted to make some, some cool music and make a big noise and do something quite permanent, but we weren't really thinking about how it fitted into the world. And I think I have a bigger understanding of where it actually fits. And where is that? Um, I think I think our music's quite personal, you know. I think it I think it it means a lot to people. The people who like it, obviously, there's probably tons of people who just think it's a load of rubbish. But the people the people the people who who are fond of our music, it it's quite important to them, and I, and I think that that's something that I really value. Not that I didn't take making our music seriously before, but I think it kind of adds an extra level to that. What are the most common questions that fans ask you, Stuart? Ah, ask questions. People quite often ask questions about musical equipment. That's kind of, and, and, and I'm not a very techie person, so I probably give them really, really terrible answers. The people will ask me what guitar I played on certain songs, and I'm like, I don't know. Probably the blue one, maybe the white one. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had you down as a, a bit of a music geek, actually. Not really. I mean, I, I like I like guitars and pedals and stuff, but I kind of tend to find something I like and then just use that rather than try twenty different ones and ponder over decisions. No, I'm not. I'm not. There's, there's Barry is probably a bit more technical, but well, he's a lot more technical than me. He knows he knows more about what he's what he's doing than I do. When did you realise that you might be able to make a living out of the band? Probably when people started giving us money. I mean. We were lucky in that we started the band when we were so young that we weren't expecting any money. None of us had ever had any money. We were just teenagers. Most of us, in fact, all of us were living with our parents. We weren't really, we weren't struggling to eat or anything like that. So I think it was probably just round about when our first album came out and we got a publishing deal and started getting like some wages and that, that kind of thing. That was probably, it looked like that was the case. But even then, I don't think we were really thinking too much about it and we think back to a lot of things we did early on and they're kind of really financially dumb but it was a lot of it was just like we just didn't care and I think that's quite a good attitude to have you know I think when not just in music but in all kind of walks to life once you start making decisions unless you just need need to make money I get that but if, if, if you're doing something artistically and you start making the decisions purely based on how much money you're going to make or I don't know, long-term financial gain, then they're maybe not going to be the best best decisions you make. 
even if you had expected for the band to have still been going 25 years down the line, would you have expected the band to have got bigger and better over that time? Because it's not always the case, is it? No, to kind of destroy the question, there's no way I would have expected the band to go that long. We were teenagers, so when you're a teenager, you don't you think someone who's 25 is ancient. So the idea of us original three members of the band still being in the same band when we were in our mid 40s, some of us are even a wee bit older, but that would have just blown our mind because someone who was 45 when you're 19 is ancient. So <laughs> I just don't, I don't think we would have um, even thought that was a possibility at all. Have you come close to splitting up maybe more than once? I don't think we've ever come close to splitting up. Um, a couple of people have left the band over the years and maybe at those points there's never been a discussion, but the way we've reacted to it has shown that we all want to keep doing it, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't remember. There's there's been times when it's been harder than other times, you know. But um, I don't think we've ever got to the point of a winter slab. I think even, and we're, we're lucky that we're doing really well just now. But I think even if we weren't doing so well, we would still do, we would still do it because we're not we're not doing it to do well. If that makes sense, um, we would probably just do it as a hobby, you know, just do it as in our free time, like a lot of bands do, you know, loads of my favourite bands um, aren't making enough money from being in that band, but they they just do it when they can, and and that's awesome. And I've got all the respect in the world for people that do that. You know, it's it's not everyone that's lucky enough to make enough money from from the music they make to to do it as their full time job. So I think we've just got to be really grateful for that. Who are your favourite bands, Stuart? My favourite bands going. Bardo Pond from America, Low, really big Low fan. Uh, I really love The Cure. I mean, of all time, my favourite bands are probably like The Velvet Underground, Joy Division. Are there any acts that you'd uh, love to work with that you haven't already? I mean, tons. I mean, loads of brilliant singers. We've not really done too many with singers. We've done stuff with Griff Reese, which is amazing, but I'd love to do something with like Iggy Pop or Polly Harvey or, or someone like that. Yeah, there's, there's millions and millions. You've remained a fiercely independent band since day one with uh, Rock Action, your label, still very much operating. How important has Rock Action been to you and why have you continued to pursue an independent route? I think it was a lot of it came from our experience with being on Chemical Underground. We, we really valued what they did for us. They were obviously run by musicians as well. The, the Delgados ran, or still run that label. And um, yeah, we kind of... We were in a position to do so, wanted to do something similar. And I think we're not the kind of band that ever listens to what anyone else says. So there's not really much point in being on a record label if we have one, if you know what I mean. Because one of the best things about being on a record label is having people <laughs> like assist you with things. And yeah, anytime anyone's actually tried to give us advice or anything, we've We've completely ignored it anyway, so yeah, it may as well be us. Maybe we may as well ignore ourselves. <laughs> I'm really curious to know. Um, we talked a bit about as the love continues and how that album started life. Love to know about the processes that go into making a massive soundscape, the sound that you're so well known for. 
Is there a formula? How does a Mogwai album start life and then get released? What's the process? I mean, I guess it starts with demos, then rehearsals, and then recording. We'll write the songs individually, then we'll get together and play them all until it sounds like us. And then we'll just get in the studio. And a lot of the sound is layers, you know. We're recording a, right now, and there's like probably like 10 tracks of guitar and like five tracks of synths and yeah loads and loads so it kind of builds up yeah it's maybe a bit more complicated than that but that's that the simplified version how about playing live do you test songs out on audiences we have done in the past and in fact we actually planned to with as the love continues we had a tour booked in the highlands which got pulled because of the pandemic which was a real shame and that was the plan then we were going to play the songs before we recorded before we at that point went to america um so we have done in the past it's a good idea but it takes a lot of organization and organization is not our strongest point are you a studio or a live band i think we could do okay both but i mean personally i prefer playing live but being in the studio is great when it when it works out well it's, it's really satisfying you are on the road. How are the live shows these days, do you think? They're good. I think especially the ones when people first came back were really emotional. We played Green Man Festival and we played um, a couple of gigs in France and, and they were really great. Really, I didn't realise how much I was missing playing live until we got back to it. It really kind of felt like I was missing a limb or something like that. So we're off on our first tour um, next month. We've not actually been on tour for years now. So it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But, yeah, I'm excited. How well orchestrated are your live shows? Yeah, we're pretty together. We've definitely rehearsed more than we used to and probably rehearse in a bit more of a focused way. Our rehearsals used to consist of us playing two or three songs and spending four hours talking about football or gossiping about our friends. But, um, yeah, we're, we're a bit more on it now. How would you say the new album fits in with your older stuff? I was thinking about pixies because they say that they don't do set lists and they don't sound check so with that in mind how's the new stuff fitting in with the old stuff is there room for maneuver or are you a precision live band yeah i I think we've probably got a bit more going on technology wise in the pixies so we definitely need a set list and a sound check (laughs) but um yeah they, they all fit together yeah and in fact i like the contrast like playing like some of the really sort of synthy, weird new songs next to kind of really sparse guitar ones from 25 years ago. I think it sits quite well. I think variety works. And I think, yeah, it's good to mix it up. I like to have rehearsed quite a lot of songs so we can change it around a lot every night. And yeah, we've not done, we've not been able to do that for, for a long time. So I'm excited about that. I'm sure the, the rest of the band aren't excited about rehearsing 40 songs or whatever but i think it'll be it'll be it'll be good to change change what we do you're joining us at blue dot 2022 headlining saturday night on the lovell stage very exciting Uh, not least for you i guess because of the overlap between science and music that the festival has your own family's got an amazing history with astronomy doesn't it yeah that's right and my dad um was scotland's only telescope maker and um he spent his whole life um, around telescopes and fascinated with the stars and space. And yeah, he was he was a cool guy. He also um, was involved in designing 
the first uh, astronomically aligned stone circle built in Scotland for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, he is. He's he he, uh, he died ten years ago. But yeah, he would have thought it was really really cool that we were playing in front of a, a massive telescope. I may have even managed to drag him out of Scotland to come <laughs> to come and watch us. How much did you learn from him about astronomy? probably haven't learned as much as I should have but everything I know about astronomy I learned from him yeah it was it, it was his passion and I think I think I like the the romance of astronomy more than the actual science so I would, I would love looking through the telescopes if there was a, a clear night he would always have the telescope out and having a look at the Saturn's rings and the kind of the kind of changing landscape of Jupiter and the having a really good look at the moon so yeah I, 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 I was always around that but yeah I'm not I'm not very scientific it's quite it's kind of funny actually because my mum my mum was a doctor um and my dad was a telescope maker and uh yeah my sister's a painter and I'm a musician so it's funny that neither neither of us picked up any of the the scientific (laughs) side of the family. Although that said you have worked on projects that explore science through music like Atomic and for those who aren't familiar with it what was the Atomic premise and how did it come about? The premise was it was commissioned to to go out on the BBC on the 70th anniversary of the Hiroshima bombings. It's about nuclear science. It's not just about nuclear weapons. There's actually some kind of positive stuff in it too about x-rays and and that kind of thing. But yeah, Mark Cousins made this documentary using archive footage. And it's a really, really great film. I'd recommend anyone watch it to watch it. And uh yeah, we were we were asked to to do the music for it and yeah, it's one of the one of my favourite things that, that we've done. I really, really, really enjoyed doing it. And uh, I'm really happy with how it, how it turned out. You enjoy doing soundtrack work per se, don't you? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we've actually just finished another TV series and we're about to start another one. So it's quite good. It's also been really good in this kind of uncertain time um, for live music for us to have something to do. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely been great. How does it work, soundtracking? Let's say a film. Depends how far along they are. We'll definitely get a script. But if they've made the movie, they'll send some scenes and the story and we'll just send them a bunch of music and they'll tell us what they like. And then you get into the actual piecing certain parts of music in certain scenes. And yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. It's, it's taught us to work very fast because quite often they'll need a very complete piece of music in a few hours. And uh, I think early on we would have thought that that would take weeks and weeks, but it's funny how motivating deadlines can be. How much back and forth is there? Quite a lot. I mean, it depends on the on the project and the director. Uh, with Mark, he was really, really involved. Mark Cousins, he very specifically wanted certain type of music and would talk to us, and it was it was very precise. We've done other projects where, like when we did the Zidane um, music for Douglas Gordon and Philippe Perron, they. Um, they were just like, yeah, do what you want. I guess, I guess they came up from a, from an artistic point of view. They were like, oh, we don't like anyone ever telling us what to do, so we're not going to tell anyone else what to do. And then you get to kind of bigger Hollywood things where they can be, you end up being kind of micromanaged, and that's fine. That's things cost millions and millions of pounds, so yeah, they're they're very 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 precise. So it really depends on project to project. What have you got left to do as a band? Laws, hopefully, you know. I think that's the thing with music. You never you never complete it. 
it's just something that you you work on and hopefully get better and better. You can always looking towards the next thing you're doing as being the, the best thing you've ever done. And, and I think that's probably how, how we look at it. I should ask, what can we expect from your Blue Dot set this year? I just hope it's a great a great experience. It's, it's one that I'm really looking forward to. I've, I've been to the festival to watch music before and it's a lovely place and a great place to hear music. So I'm just hoping it's, it's um, yeah, a special night. Stuart Braithwaite, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Blue Dot Podcast. Thanks to Stuart from Mogwai for spending time with us. Visit discovertheblue.com to enjoy more episodes of the Blue Dot Podcast and explore our lineup. Blue Dot returns to Cheshire's iconic Jodrell Bank this July with weekend tickets on sale now. <laughs>